Tonight's reading from the New Testament comes from James 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we are here before you. We are in a state of great need. Even if we feel, uh, feel filled with life, We're in a low place. We are a needy bunch. We are too desperate to play church or play religion. And we ask that you would come right now and be the Savior of our souls. In Christ's name, amen. In the summer of 1988, I spent several months, 150 miles northeast of Nairobi, in a place called Maru, which was in the district of Kitui. That was a long way for a Pittsburgh boy. It was the headquarters of some missionaries I was spending time with, and it was also the home of Telwa Yesu Medical Clinic. Now, I saw a lot of things during my time in Kenya that were impressive and impressed upon me. But one of the most moving and memorable things was watching men, women, and children walk for one, two, three, four days to come to that clinic in their place of need. And why did they make that effort? Because there was a free, open invitation for healing. And that's the very same thing that James is talking about. This evening, James ends his letter with an invitation to come and be healed. Come to God and be healed. Now, the Christian faith teaches that we live in a fallen world. That means a world that has fallen short of what God intended it to be. When humankind opened the door to sin and evil... immediately after pain and misery came. And so uh, we not only, to, to live in a fallen world is also to live as wounded people. People in need of healing, every one of us in this room. You're living in a fallen world, 
means you are a wounded person in some way in need of healing. And not long after sin and evil enter the world, God declared himself to his people as Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. You can come to me. And when he talked about the Messiah coming, one of the key declarations would be, he will carry our afflictions and by his stripes we will be healed. And this is what you see in the ministry of Jesus Christ as he spent countless hours and days healing people, but more so pointing them to the healing that would come from his sacrificial death on a cross. And his ministry, the book of Acts tells us, continues. The book of Acts says that the Gospels were everything that Jesus began to do and teach. He would continue that work through his church. And so I want to talk about uh, this evening that ministry of spiritual intercession and spiritual intervention that James focuses our attention upon. So first, the ministry of spiritual intercession. Now, anyone with a TV has probably seen a pastor saying, promising if you had faith and availed yourself of their ministry, you would be healed. In fact, this has caused great skepticism, and rightfully so, in the minds of many people. Is this what James is teaching? Is this a primitive form of the faith healer? I would say he's giving us something actually more profound and more hopeful than that. One of the uh, theological commentaries that I was using throughout the series was one written by New Testament scholar Dan Doriani. You see his name in the bulletin because I quoted him. And some of you have benefited from his teaching. He's actually been in our midst before. And uh, in his remarks on this particular chapter, Dan reflects back on when he was a young pastor. And there was a man in his church that had been afflicted by uh, a heart virus, an infection in his heart. He was gray. He was uh, lifeless. And Dan saw that and said, you should come to the elders and be prayed for. But he admitted he was skeptical. When he was a teenager, he had a chronic illness. And his parents said, let's gather together some people and lay hands on you and pray for you. And he said, nothing happened. And so, admittedly so, I was a skeptic, but I knew that was what you were supposed to say. So I invited the man to come and pray with the elders. And he said, "Um, as soon as we began to pray, I had an overwhelming sense that God was at that moment healing my friend. My arms felt what I can only describe as bolts of fire pulsing through them. As I grasped my friend's shoulder, heat and energy burned in my hand. I felt that my one hand could lift all his 230 pounds to the ceiling or push him through the floor if I wished. I knew God was healing him. I wanted to shout, we we can stop praying that God will heal and start praising him. He has healed him. But I was too astonished, too unsure of my sensations to say a word to anyone. So for four days, I kept my experience to myself. 
And during that time, the man actually came forward and said, my infection has disappeared. But then Dan adds, you know, since that time, over those many, many years, I have prayed for many, many, many people for healing. A few of them have been immediately healed, but most of them have been gradually healed under the care of doctors. That gives us, I think, some perspective as we come to James' remarks, because this chapter raises a lot of questions. And maybe it's one that's bothered you, because you've thought, you know, this is one of the places where I feel like the Bible makes an empty claim, empty promise. But let's address some questions. First of all, who is it that needs prayer that James is talking about? Well, the word we're given is sick, and that word can mean worn out and weak. It might refer to people that are emotionally and spiritually worn out, but it more often refers to someone who is so physically sick that they can't get out of bed. In fact, that's evidenced by the fact that they need the elders to come to them because they can't go to the elders. Even that ought to encourage you. God commands and instructs that for people who are seriously ill, he commands that you be prayed for. He commands that you receive a prayer of healing. This is God's desire. And I think that helps us because oftentimes when you are seriously sick for a long time or chronically sick, you feel discouraged, you feel alone, and you feel ashamed for your guilt. And so the fact would God would say, no, I, I command you to come to me. I want to pray for you. Encourages us. Well, who is to pray? Notice that James doesn't say call a faith healer or call that one elder who really has a good gift of healing. He has a great track record. He says, I just want you to call the run-in-the-mill elders. The average guys that are elders in the church, that's who you're supposed to call. The elders are the permanent leaders of the church. They're the shepherds of the flock. And he instructs them that they're not supposed to pray for miracles. They're supposed to pray for healing. Now, why is that distinction important? Of course, every time the elders pray, we would delight, we call upon God, we believe God that he can immediately, miraculously heal somebody. But you know what gets dangerous? It's very easy for all of us where we make the criteria of whether God is real or our faith was strong that the person was healed immediately. And that's problematic. Because James doesn't call us to pray for miracles. He calls us to pray for healing. This past, or two weeks ago, Meg went to see her doctor. And for those of you that are in our community, you know that uh, she has in the past dealt with chronic illness. And um, her doctor had said to her, they were talking about um, her condition, and her doctor said to her, and uh, this is one of the finest doctors in D.C., And she said, you were the sickest patient I've ever had. And, uh, you know, for several years, Meg was very, very sick. And for several years, many of you prayed for us, prayed with me over and over again. Well, two and a half years ago or so, God chose to give Meg substantial healing. Not total healing, but substantial healing. Why then? I have no idea. I have no idea. What was it? Why? 
It was God's timing. Did God answer the prayers of healing? He most certainly did. Did he offer the, answer them immediately? No. But he answered them. Because he commanded that we pray for people to heal. And even if someone struggles their entire life with a malady, he assures us there will be final healing. That's what heaven's about. Because even if God does a crazy healing in your life and you get on the, the pages of the Washington Post and everybody believes it, guess what? I'm going to still be doing your funeral. Because <laughs> you're going to die. So we've got to keep things in perspective. Healing is a gift, not a reward for faith. But that raises the issue of faith, which is critical. I mean, a theme that's been running through this book has been James saying, warning us about dead faith. Ineffective faith. Faith that's not real. Faith is important. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, though, Faith doesn't just play one role. There are times where Jesus heals someone and he says, your faith has saved you. He highlights the faith. But there are other times where Jesus heals someone and there's no evidence of faith. They're a demon-possessed person. There are times that Jesus heals people and it stimulates faith. There are times that Jesus healed a lot of people and you know what it exposed? They had no faith. Right? That's what he chided them for. The Apostle Paul worked great miracles. He was a man of great faith. But he lived with a malady day in and day out. And he couldn't heal his associates, Timothy and Epaphroditus, when they were sick. Even though he might be able to heal other people. Faith isn't some magic coin that we put in and we get out of healing. Faith is fundamental trust in our God. Fundamental trust in his goodness, his character, and even his timing. Even his timing. But we do get some encouragement here. Because, you know, you might say, uh, so far, uh, basically, you're just telling me what faith isn't. But James gives us, I think, two things to assure us as we are prayed for. One... The assurance of God's special attention. He mentions anointing with oil. Now back in ancient times, oil had medicinal effects, as it does today. But that's not why he raises it. That's not the purpose of the anointing with oil. The anointing with oil was symbolic. It was to demonstrate God's power, but more so, it was to demonstrate that the person was being set apart to God. So someone's sick, they come to the elders. The first thing the elders do is they anoint them with oil, which testifies to the person, you are being set apart for God's special attention because he knows the fix that you're in. His eyes are always on us, but right now, man, he's intently looking at you. As I said, it's very easy when we're sick for a long time to think that God's eyes are way off somewhere else. But it's important to see that James does not stress the effectiveness of the oil. He stresses the effectiveness of the prayer, of the faith of what God does. So our assurance in prayer is God's special attention. But second of all, the ground of prayer. Now, maybe when you heard Elijah used as the example, you immediately thought, I don't see how that helps me. 
You know, he's talking about faith. And then he raises one of the greatest prophets that have ever lived. And the fact that he prayed for there to be rain for, you know, not for there to be rain for years and then pray to be rain. You're like, how does that help me? I'm an average guy. I'm not a prophet. But did you notice that James' whole point was he raises Elijah as an example to say, he's a normal guy just like you and me. He has a nature just like you and me. So why was his prayer powerful and effective? Well, as we slide ahead to the New Testament, we get a good sense of that. He raises the word righteous. Now, righteous certainly can mean uh, ethical righteousness, someone who is godly, someone who is sincere to God. But if that's all we have, none of our prayers would be answered. The New Testament goes further than that. It tells us about a gospel righteousness. What sets apart the Christian faith from other faiths is all other faiths are about providing righteousness to God. Christianity is about receiving righteousness from God. It's about receiving righteousness as a gift of God's grace. You and I, on any given day, have enough unrighteousness in our lives, our failure to love, our failure to be kind, our fa- you know, go on and on, especially when the heat index goes up, right? The sin index goes up. So we're in a fix. How are we going to come before God and have a righteous prayer? Well, this is why. Because the Son of God came that he might credit his righteousness to you, right? This is is why Christ came, not only to die for sin, but to credit you for righteousness. And this is what the New Testament teaches. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. And listen how he links this with prayer. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus, by the atonement of the Son of God for us. Because of that, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And then earlier he said, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, one who's sympathetic, who's been tempted in all ways and afflicted, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Prayer is effective in the sight of God. It's righteous. The reason you have confidence before God when you pray for healing, when you pray about anything, is because the Son of God has given you a righteous standing. That can't be changed. And righteousness is basically, first and foremost, you and I believe in that. So when anybody comes to our session and we pray for them, our elders that is, I'm reminding myself the whole time, God, I thank you that the effectiveness of these elders' prayers, because you know what we're like, and our wives really know what we're like, those of us that are married, and and our single elders have best friends that know what they're like, The bottom line is this, God, we come to you based on the standing that Jesus is one, the great high priest, and because of that, we are confident that you're going to do something here. Now, what's he going to do? This is where James adds some interesting language. Listen to what he says. He says, the prayer of the sick person will save them, and the person that confesses their sins will be healed. Sounds like James got it backwards. You confess your sins, you get saved, but you pray for the sick and they get healed. But he didn't get it backwards. 
What he's doing, later he actually says the sick person will be raised up. You know where that language is used? Resurrection. James is bringing together something modern people can't get their minds around, which is body-soul. I mean, modern people, to our detriment, we live in our bodies like we think it won't hurt our soul. And then we wonder why we're in such a fix. But James brings them together and says that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it actually could be a case that sin or your spiritual condition is linked to your health condition. Now, there's some obvious examples of this. Let's say, you know, I decide to go rob a bank, and while I'm trying to do it, I get shot in the leg. And after I get out of prison, you know, I'm limping. Well, you could say, well, Glenn, you know, I could say to you, man, this dang limp. Well, you know, you, you did try to rob a bank, you know, that, that's an easy connection. Or maybe you go to your doctor and he's told you over and over about some area you need to reform your health and you just dismiss him for year after year and you, you finally, you know, are on your deathbed. Well, you know, your sin had something to do with your sickness. But at the same time, Jesus cautioned his disciples. You see, in our day, the tendency is to under-spiritualize sickness. It's all biological. In Jesus' day, it was to over-spiritualize. And so once, you know, his disciples come to him and go, why is this guy born blind? Is it because his parents sinned? And he goes, no, that's not why. The reason God permitted him to be born blind is because I'm going to heal him and it's going to bring glory to God. So, you know, God, please deliver us from this one-to-one idea of saying, I must be sick because there's some sin. And especially those of you that are chronically sick, I I want your consciences to be preserved because the devil works extra hard to make you think the reason you're not better is because you did something wrong. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Yet at the same time, let's not go the other way and say there's not connection. There were times where Jesus said things that make us scratch our head. He heals a paralytic and then he says, your sins are forgiven. He heals another man and says, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. (laughs) He's got to think, man, the boldness of Jesus, right? You imagine that. You you heal, imagine if a doctor said that to you. Maybe some of your doctors do this, say that to you. You're healed. You know, But at the very least, we understand that when God brings our bodies low, it makes us think about our souls. Um, I've been in an email conversation with a high school friend who I have not seen since the day we graduated. Our sisters are friends, and they got a hold of me and said, uh, he's dying of cancer, he's in hospice, would you, would you reach out to him? So we've exchanged three or four emails, and it's only natural that his sickness has led him to to examine his life. First email he wrote, he said, you know, I've I've been thinking that much of my life has been selfishness and greed. And it's very easy to regret and think, well, maybe now what I'll do is try to think of the good things. And I said, oh, you know, dear friend, let me tell you some good news. Let me tell you some good news. Every one of us lives selfishly till the day we die. But this is the good news of God's grace. And I pray that his soul will be healed. I loved Psalm 32 where David talks about, right? 
that intersection between, you know, my body and how I feel and the way that I've lived and how they intersect together. But what really was wonderful is the testimony of healing. I can stand before you and tell you that God has healed much sin in my life. Sins that I have committed that caused damage to me. And through his grace and forgiveness, he has brought healing to me. But let's get to this last piece. Because James, as we read this, it may seem like, where is he going? He's going all over the place. We're talking about healing, and then he's talking about Elijah, and then he's talking about people that are wandering off. Well, don't you see what he's done? It's really ingenious. He's talking about the healing we need physically, and then he moves down to the healing that we need physically and spiritually, and then he moves out to the spiritual healing that we seek. Now, you know, the philosopher Kierkegaard was famous for this term, Sickness unto death. And what he meant by that was despair. The despair that fallen people deal with. It might be a despair over the fact that they want more material stuff and they can't get it. It may be despair over the fact that they wanted more options in their lives and they didn't get the options. It might be despair in the fact that they wanted to be self-sufficient and they realized they're not. But all of it, he would say, was rejecting Christ ultimately. It's a sickness unto the soul. James says something similar. He says, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Who's better off? The person that goes to the prayer meeting and gets healed, but goes on to live their life basically oblivious to God. Or the person that goes to the prayer meeting and doesn't get healed, that God fills them with strength and heroic perseverance. I would say the latter is better off. The latter one. The healing that God gave his soul. Jesus healed many, many people that were sick. But they had difficulty repenting. Turning unto him. You know, we, we in our lives, um, we pray a lot, and it's right that we pray for people that are sick. It's right that we do. But do you pray as vigorously for people that are wandering away? Wandering away from God. And do we see that actually as the more detrimental thing? If we see people as more than material beings, as more than just atoms, right? As more than just flesh and blood, if we see them as souls, eternal souls, it's at that point that we pray both and, not just one. James actually, in this whole passage of healing prayer, emphasizes the spiritual side more than the physical, even though he directs us to prayer. And this is where you and I uh, are invited into an incredible role. You know, we know of people, maybe we've gone miles and states to be served by them, men and women that are skilled specialists and doctors. Maybe they developed a surgery or a therapy, and they're revered 
They're honored. They're paid lots of money because they have this ability to cure and to heal that's so special. And let me tell you, the average Christian that speaks and helps someone turn away from their sin has done a greater work. And any believer or follower of Christ, you are that specialist. From the work of heaven, they're looking down on you going, I'm so glad that we've got that person in place in that person's life. This is a calling that God has given us. In Washington, D.C., we um, live life, brush up against work with folks that are talented, um, very smart, very accomplished, folks that are good looking, lots of people in really good shape, lots of people that can run marathons, right? It's easy to walk around one another or sit by one another and think that we're well and not look and see the sickness unto death, to not see the woundedness. But God would have us open our eyes, even this week. And he would have us pray that people might come to know the final healing, the great healing that's coming. The book of Revelation says, and there was a tree and its leaves were healing for the nations. This is what we set our eyes upon. This is what our God will accomplish. And all the healings he gives us in our spirit from our tears and our traumas and our hurts and our sicknesses, they're a foretaste of what he means to give us in total. So let's pray. If you are sick, come to the elders and we will pray for you. Father, we're grateful for what you've given us, the free open invitation. We pray that you would work healing of the soul, that you would heal our sin. We pray that you would heal our bodies so that we could give you glory. I pray especially for those that are chronically ill, those that battle serious sicknesses. We pray, O God, that you might give us opportunity to lay hands and heal them. We pray that they would know they are set apart. And Lord, I pray for all of us here that have faith, that follow you. I pray that we would be passionate to find fellow wounded, wandering people and lead them to the great physician. In Christ's name, amen.